Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. Good morning, church. My name's Weston. Super glad that you're here. Um, I thought about this picnic we've got coming up, and just before we get into the message, I want to say this. Some of you are going, where is Covington Woods Park? You're new to town. It's on the same street as the church. You just turn right out of our parking lot and go for a little bit. You're going to cross over Scottsville Road, so you go through the light, and then on the right-hand side, you'll see a sign, Covington Wooden Parks. We've got every uh, shelter there reserved for our church and our use this week, so um, come join us. We've got pulled pork. I think we've got pulled chicken coming. Uh, it's going to be a good time. People bringing sides. Um, you know, it's just going to be a good time, so join us for that later. Hey, today we are kicking off a new series called Hashtag Struggles, and this is based off of Craig Grishel's book, Liking Jesus. And if you've got the app in the sermon notes, you scroll down to the bottom, I've put a link there for you to be able to go and access um, a place on christianbook.com where you can find that book if you want to read along. There's, he's got a few other subjects we're not going to get to on our Sunday morning, uh, but that would be a great resource for you if, if you find this to be interesting. Uh, so we're thankful to Craig Rochelle and Life Church for letting us use the, the content, the material, uh, as we go through this study. This is what our community groups are going to be going through as well, and we're excited about that. One more thing for our WKU students. You've come back. Maybe you're looking for some spiritual community. We're partnered with a group called CSF, Christian Student Fellowship, meets right on campus. They've got their own uh, really awesome, it looks like a white house uh, across from the Mass Media Building. Um, they host small groups throughout the week. Uh, with different students. And we've got some of their sign-up sheets for groups here. So if, as you're leaving, you're thinking, man, I'd like to be in a community group. They've got groups for guys, groups for gals, uh, and they've got pictures of the leaders. So guys, you'd sign up with a picture of the, the guys. Just want to make sure we're all clear on this. And the gals, you'd sign up with a picture of the gals, okay? So if, if, if you're questioning that later, you can, you can ask questions. But it's pretty self-explanatory. Just go out there, and on the table, you'll see that, and you can sign up there for your groups, you know, guys and guys, gals, gals, so there you go. That's, that's how they do their groups, and they do an awesome job with community groups. Uh, they meet on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock at CSF. They have a worship time. Uh, they bring in different spree, spree, sprinklers, speakers, speakers. We'll get there eventually. Uh, there, you'll want to be there for that. Um, so, yeah, join them there. All right, so today's new series uh, is about some of the spiritual problems that social media presents to us. Now, some of you here, you're going, I don't know about this because I'm not really on social media. Or your idea of social media is like the misconnections page inside of the newspaper. Maybe you still take that. Um, and so if that's you, I want you to know it's okay. This is going to be relevant to you. Like, for instance, today we're talking about contentment. That's something we all struggle with, whether you're on social media or not. 
Uh, the problem is that social media has seemed to have poured like gasoline onto these spiritual fires that we're trying to put out in our lives. And so today we're talking about content, contentment. Gosh, English is going to be hard. I just feel it already. Next week we're talking about intimacy. You know, we all want to have deep, meaningful, intimate relationships and deep, meaningful, intimate friendships. We want these things. And here's the thing with social media, why it makes it such a problem. You post something out there, and all of a sudden you got a whole bunch of people liking it or making some comments on it, and you have this instant feedback, and you have this instant sort of connection with people, and you feel like, man, yeah, we're connected. But the problem is that social media gives us the illusion of connection without the demands of real friendship. And so there's a struggle there, and we're going to talk about that next week. Week three, we're going to talk about authenticity. Never before have we had the capacity to literally filter and screen and edit all of our public-facing like content. So you put this stuff out there, and you've face-tuned it, and you've you know, made sure the lighting was good, and you've taken the picture five times, and you're, you know, you're happy with it. And so it's really hard to be authentic and to let the real you shine through when we live in a time when everything seems to be so edited. Later, we're going to talk about this issue of compassion. Scholars are seeming to think that we're becoming less compassionate, and they think perhaps that part of the cause of this is our social media and just our information age. Because we are so aware of what's going on in the world and all of the terrible things that are happening in the world, it seems to, they think, maybe be overwhelming us. And so we care less about the problems that are around us. And we're going to talk about that. And then finally, we're going to close out the series. We're going to talk about rest. Uh, they've done a, a survey of, of teenagers, and uh, at least 80% of teenagers are sleeping with their phones. Um, that's going to be a hard way to, to rest, you know? It's hard to get rest when you're constantly being aware and informed and notified and buzzed and beeped and all the other things that our smartphones do. So how do we claim rest in this social media age. So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. Really hope that you'll stick with us through this series because I think it's going to be something that's going to be meaningful and helpful for all of us. But today we're talking about contentment. Let's get there. Um, contentment is an interesting thing to talk about in our time because never before have we had so much but wanted so much more. Never before have we lived in a time where we've had so many things and so much stuff, and yet we've said, man, if I could just have a little bit more, that would seem to make me happy. Now, part of this is human nature, right? But you're just something inside of us that's, that is just not content with things. It's, there's a restlessness, it seems, in many people. Some of it's fueled by advertising. Um, I mean, we're always told, you know, we need the newest, the greatest. You know, why would you get, you know, why would you get COVID-19 when COVID-20 is going to be coming out soon? You know, it might be too soon for that, and I'm sorry. It's, it's a real thing. It, I know that it is. But, I mean, you get the point. You know, why are we going to get this model when next year's model is going to be out just a little bit later? And why would you hang on to what you've got when you can just upgrade for just a little bit more? I mean, you can do the lease. You can do the rent. You can do all these sorts of things. I remember a few years ago, Jenny and I, we traded in our van. And the salesperson just laughed at us. Um, he's, he's a really cool guy, but he was like, you know, what year is your van? We told him, he's like, how many miles you got on that thing? And I was like, I don't know, 220,000 or something. And he just kind of stopped and he looked at us and he's like, really? And I was like, 
I was like, yeah. I was like, doesn't everybody do that sort of thing? And he's like, no, man. He's like, nobody does that anymore. And he's like, well, so what, you want to lease one? I was like, no, the plan is to keep this one for another 220,000 miles. So we'll see you in several years. But, you know, we'll hang on to your card because we like you. This is not something that's usual. Why would we hang on to these things? Just as an aside, I remember my grandfather, he had a Cadillac that he liked to drive, but then he also had maybe the world's ugliest Oldsmobile. It was an 88. Anybody remember the 88 Oldsmobile? The color, I don't know what it came from in the showroom, but it was, uh, I called it Manila, because it really was like a Manila folder. Like if you pulled a Manila folder out and you know, hung it up right next to it, that's the color it was. Anyways, nobody keeps things that long anymore. Nobody does. We have this restlessness in us. Social media feeds us too, right? Because you see the pictures. Nobody posts like pictures of their like, hey, this is my old car in the garage. Had it for 10 years. Here it is. Just thought you might want to see it. We're always taking pictures of, look, this is new. This is brand new. This is happening. This is, I mean, look at my, my new lawnmower. Look at my new you know, phone, watch, computer, whatever it is. And we're constantly being told, man, everybody else is upgrading. Everybody else is doing something new. Why aren't you? And it leaves us feeling discontent with the things that we have. I mean, you're sitting at home and you are scrolling social media because that's what we do. And as you scroll through social media, you feel a little discontent as you look at the picture of your friend who's out on a date and they're eating lobster and you look down and you're, you're eating a microwave chicken pot pie. Now, I, I happen to like microwave chicken pot pie, but I'm the only one in my house that I think does. And so you're hating your lunch, and you're looking at what they're having for dinner, and you're thinking, my goodness, why is, it, why is that not my life? Why, why can't I have that too? You know, you're sitting at home, scrolling social media, and what do you see? You see your, your friends at the gym, you know, and he's taking these pictures, showing all of his muscles all swole up after his workout, and you are looking down at your DoorDash bag, and you're just trying to single-handedly eat the restaurant industry back into solvency. And you're thinking to yourself, my goodness, why, why don't I have that kind of life? You know, you're scrolling social media again, feeling a little discontent. You see your neighbors, they're at the beach. You're in the backyard holding a garden hose, filling up the kid's pool. And you're thinking, why am I not at the beach? We have a sense of discontentment about these things. You know, your coworker there at Disney World taking these pictures, and you just found out that Guntown Mountain in Cave City is going to reopen. And you're thinking, I don't know, that sounds pretty awesome to me. But it's not Disney World. What am I going to do? And this is the place we live. We live in a place of discontent that's fed as we constantly scroll. And as we scroll, not only do we realize we're not living the life we want to live, but we're maybe not as cool as we thought we were. Now, growing up, we could only guess at how unpopular we were. Now we have statistical evidence on social media to let you know that nobody really does care, right? You know, you scroll social media, you look at your posts, and you're like, oh, yeah, five people liked them. Thanks, Mom, Dad, Brother, Grandma. Oh, that's nice. And then you look at your friend's feed, and then what's happening over there? They got like, like 70 likes, and you're like, who, who knows 70 people that really cares about what they're eating you know, at a restaurant this evening. You know, you're scrolling through and you realize that, man, yeah, I got a hundred friends. This is great. And you, you look over at your friend and you're like, man, they got a thousand. You know, they're, they're 10 times more popular than me. What's wrong? And we, again, feel a sense of now relational discontent. 
This is a problem. And it's just exacerbated by social media. So how are we going to get rid of this discontentment? Craig Rochelle lays out three categories in which we might experience discontent. And I want to share them with you. And here's what I want to do this morning. I don't want us to just kind of laugh at some of this because it's, it's a defense mechanism, right? Because we laugh at it because like, we'd cry otherwise. Um, I think we do need to, however, own it. We do need to, I'm going to ask you at some point in time to raise your hand if that's you. And I want you to just be committed right now to, to being honest. And we can just sort of recognize that collectively together, that's me. If you're watching online, love for you to just go ahead and type that in the chat box. If you're saying that's me, just go ahead and type in that's me. And, and you can participate with us as we go. But here's the first one that Craig Rochelle lays out. He says this, that we experience a sense of material and financial discontentment. As we scroll through social media, we see a friend, he's got a picture of what? His new car. And we think to ourselves, man, my car is old. Now, I'll tell you, this is going to be one that's going to hit close to home for me because I've got that car, the paint's flaking, we're over 200,000 miles on my vehicle. And there are times when I go, man, it would sure be nice to have a vehicle that's a little bit newer. It would be really nice to have that. And if I'm going to be real honest with you, I can tell you that there are times where I experience discontentment in this area. That's just life. You know, for some of you, it may not be that. It might be a different kind of financial or material discontentment. Maybe you notice your friend, you know, she posts this picture of some really great looking brownies, but you don't notice the brownies, do you? You notice the counter that the brownies are sitting on top of and the cupboard that's behind the brownies that are there and the little pull knobs that are on the cupboards and the drawers of there and, and the, the way the kitchen and the stove and the refrigerator, somehow it's all there in this brownie picture. And as you look at it, you're kind of overwhelmed. And you go, man, that's what I want. And we're not talking about brownies. We feel discontent about the kitchen that we have, the things that we have. Maybe you notice, again, friends traveling, and you're seeing, man, I wish I could do that. You've got you know, folks that have got more shoes than Zappos, and you think to yourself, my goodness, I've got these three pairs, and we live in a place of discontentment. If that's you, and you say, man, yeah, I struggle with the financial, the material discontentment, put your hand up. Let's just own it together. Yeah, awesome. That's great. Yeah, that's us. Now, some of you, maybe that's not you. There's another kind of discontentment that we experience, and sometimes it's relational discontentment. We have a sense of relational discontentment. We look at all of our friends together online. We see that there's these pictures from this really great party that we didn't know about because we weren't invited to it. And it seems like everybody is there except you, and you feel left out. You feel like, man, why didn't I not you know, warrant the invite? Why didn't they think about me? And as you look at the way that they're connected and having a good time, you feel discontent with where you are relationally. Perhaps it's that you know, you're in that stage of life where you think, man, I should be married right now. And you've been to 100 different weddings, and online you see all these different you know, uh, pictures from weddings and, and the bridal party, and you, you see the pictures of all of these incredible proposals. You know, it involves a sky rider and a hot air balloon and a guy that rented a camel. And, and you, know, it's, you know, she said yes, and they hired a photographer and a videographer to be there just for the proposal. And you're thinking, man, I'm not even going out on a date right now. And you're feeling discontent. You're feeling not content where you are relationally. Maybe you look at other people and the time they're able to spend with their kids 
And perhaps you're a single mom, single dad, and you think, man, I don't get that kind of time with my kids. I, I got to work my tail off just to make ends meet and make sure that all the bills get paid. And you feel less than. You feel discontent with where you are. Or maybe you are married, but as you look at the pictures of your married friends and they're posting those things online and you see how happy they are online and you think to yourself, man, they've got a great marriage. I don't have a great marriage. And you feel a sense of relational discontentment because relationally, you're not quite where you want to be, where other folks are. If that's you, would you put your hand up too? Would you just own some of that? Yeah. That's, that's the second one. There's a third one. Uh, Grishelle, I like this one. He calls it circumstantial discontentment. This is, this is where we think to ourselves, man, you look at people around you and go, man, they're so much more accomplished than I am. You know, they, they've, they've done so much more. I, I thought by this point in my life, I would be doing more. I thought by this point in my life, I would be in more meaningful work. I would be in more significant, making more significant contributions. But I'm just not doing that. And you feel as though you are not in the circumstance that you want to be in. Maybe for you, you're thinking, man, I wish that I could have a child. And you've seen these pictures of all these reveal parties, and sometimes it's cake, and sometimes it's shotguns, and sometimes it's cars, and sometimes it's a forest fire that reveals the gender of your friend's babies online. That one got a little close, didn't it? And you think to yourself, man, I, I can't even have a child. And here's all these reveal parties. And we struggle with it. And here's the funny thing. We can be in circumstantial discontentment, and the other person could want to be in the same circumstance we're in. I mean, I think about our MOPS group, and I'm so glad that we kicked that off this week. And, and Megan and the whole steering team, I know there's a whole bunch of gals on that. I don't know all of them. But, man, they're working hard so that way moms can be connected. And I love how they're doing it, and they're letting everybody get together. But I, I think it's kind of hard, uh, particularly I'm going to say this for women, for moms, I think it's tough right now. Because not only do you have sort of these social expectations of, of appearance and, and social roles that are being redefined, but you have this pull and there's this tension, I think, in the mom world between those that stay home and those that work, although everybody's working, right? You know, some people are working outside the home and here, and, and there's all this tension. And you can really kind of imagine how this tension would play out. In the same scenario, you've got one mom... You know, she's working, and she's scrolling social media, and she sees, you know, this gal she's friends with online, and she's the stay-at-home mom. You know, she's, she's sort of like Pinterest personified. You know, everything is, you know, a theme day at home. All the crafts are, you know, there's glitter, and there's sticks, and there's a theme, and there's a snack that coincides with it, and the snack is healthy, and it has vegetables and fruit, and, and all these things are cut out, and, you know, little animal shapes, and, and the mom who's, you know, busy doing this nine-to-five thing, she's thinking, man, I wish I could be in that position with my kids. But that exact other mom, that Pinterest mom, she looks at this other mom who's working, and she thinks, my goodness, how nice must it be to be able to, to get dressed up and to go and to not have your hair just in the ponytail and to have an adult conversation with somebody. I haven't even seen another adult in the last five years, you know? And she has this sense of discontentment. Friends, this is the illusion or the problem with discontentment is, is we just seem to want what somebody else has even when other people want what we have. That's circumstantial discontentment. We just look at our circumstances and we go, man, I wish I had a different set of circumstances. If that's you, could you own that and raise your hand? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I, I hear that. I feel that. That's just reality. Here, here's the truth. And this has been said before, that life is 10% what happens to you, but it's 90% how you respond to it. I think that's really true. But here's the reality. For most of us, we live with that ratio flipped. We live as though life was 90% what happens to us and 10% how we respond to it. We allow other people's circumstances and accomplishments and relationships and possessions to tell us how content we are or should be with what we have. And we're going to have to flip this. We're going to have to get it back to that 90-10 in the right way if we're going to be people that live with contentment. Because let me tell you, living with discontentment prolonged, it leads to despair and bitterness and envy and it destroys our relationships. We don't want that. So how do we get rid of it? I, I think we've done a good job exposing it, but we're going to have to destroy this in our lives. I want to look at a passage here as we think about this. It's in Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul writes it, and, and I want you to get the scene where Paul's at, because Paul is not um, like beachside at some all-inclusive resort, you know, sipping you know, some frozen drink you know, that's got an umbrella tucked in it to the church, telling them to be content. The Apostle Paul, in the moment that he writes this letter, and as he talks about contentment, is likely chained to a Roman guard. He is in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. That's what he is in prison for. And so while the Apostle Paul is there in prison preaching the gospel to all the other prisoners that will listen, he is writing letters to churches, and one of them is Philippians. And here's what he has to say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. We'll pick him in the latter part of that uh, and following. Here's what he says. He says, I am not saying this because I'm in need. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. The Apostle Paul here is saying, listen, the secret to contentment is found in Jesus Christ. It's found in realizing that Christ is all we need. I really want that to soak in for a second because we don't live this way, even if you've been in church for 100 years. Christ is all we need. And when we come to grab a hold of that, contentment becomes a lot easier. So how is it that we can maybe come to a place where we recognize that and destroy this other stuff in our lives? Well, the first thing is we've got to kill comparisons. We're going to have to kill the comparison game. We've got to stop comparing ourselves to others. Nobody wins in a comparison. Nobody wins. The Apostle Paul even talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He was dealing with people who were comparing themselves to others, and here's what he says. He says, we do not dare to, de to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commend themselves. He says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. The Apostle Paul here is dealing with a group of sort of pseudo-evangelists, uh, folks that are running around preaching a gospel that isn't really the gospel. And they are saying, you know, Paul isn't really all that. You know, Paul's in jail and we're out here. And, and, and there's a lot of comparison going on. And Paul says, man, this is foolishness to be comparing themselves. Paul says, I'm not even going to get into this game of comparison. I'm not going to be allowed to be drawn into this battle. Uh, he says, I'm not going to go there. We've got to have the same attitude as Paul. We've got to say, listen, we're not going to be people who live in comparisons. 
There's a reason why God, in the top ten things he told us that we should not do, he said, do not covet. Why? Because coveting robs us. It's not just a sin, it's unhealthy. I think it's a sin because it's unhealthy. What coveting does is it robs us of what we have as we fantasize about what we don't. Coveting is one of those things where you put so much time, attention, energy, emotional thought into, man, what do these other people have? And wouldn't it be nice if I had that, that you neglect the very things you have yourself? You fantasize about what it would be like to have a different husband or wife, and you neglect the relationship with you, that you have. You think about how nice it would be to have a different car or house, and you neglect the ones you have. Coveting leads us down that road. It robs us of what we have as we fantasize about what we don't have. So let's be super practical. What could we do? How might we be able to kill comparisons in our lives? Let me give you a couple of ideas. One is this, is you could take a social media break. I know. I know it is radical. You could also join a commune with the Amish in Scottsville. You could. You could all, there's a monastery in the Bardstown area. Men, ladies, I think there's one in the uh, Evansville area. I'm not sure. I've, I've not been. Um, but you've got options there. Uh, and now, as radical as this sounds, you really could take a break. Like, you could take a break for a day, a weekend, a week. Maybe start small, you know, just an hour for some of you. You just say, all right, I'm not, just for the next hour, I'm going to turn off my phone. That's one thing you could do. Or, or perhaps there's another thing you could do sort of in that same vein. You could hide the feed of people who sort of trigger you in the envy department. You know who I'm talking about. The frenemy, you know, the one that you're comparing yourself with. Maybe they're not even comparing themselves with you. You could just sort of mute that, unfollow them, so that way you don't have to see that. That would be a real option for you to kill comparison. Uh, some of you are still taking catalogs. That's great. You know, we're happy for you to to do that. Maybe for some of you, though, it's time to put the catalog, you know, away. It's time to put the magazine subscription to something away, because all it does when you look at it is make you feel discontent. Some of you need to stop watching HGTV, okay? I said it. You got to just stop watching it, you know? Your, your husband is not Chip Gaines. Your wife is not Joanna, um, okay? That's just reality. You just got to know it and you got to own it, all right? That's how it is. And every time you look at what they're doing, they're like, you know, it's always so easy. They're like, yeah, we're going to take this wall out. And then we're going to add a second story. And then we're going to do shiplap everywhere. And then we're going to dig up the planters and put in a spa. And you look around your house and you're like, man, this is a dilapidated, rundown shack. You know, who lives in this place? Oh, that's right, it's my house. For you, you got to turn off HGTV, okay? You just, it's time, okay? Maybe give yourself a break. You know, just say, listen, we're going to take a break from HGTV for a while. That could be something you could do. Others of you, it's time to stop going to the boat show, the gun show, the hunting show, the, the whatever show, the knife show, the blender show. I don't even know. I've never been to one of these things. I'd like to go once. Uh, it's time for you to just sort of say, you know what? When I go to these things, I just leave going, ugh. It's time. It's time. That's discontentment. That's the uh, of discontentment. You got to let it go. Okay, got to let that go. So we're going to stop. We're going to stop the discontentment by killing comparisons. Let me tell you one more thing that is huge. This has been this way for me. Celebrate the success of other people. Oh my goodness, this is this is huge. I mean, we've all had those moments where you see something posted online and you're like, man, God really blessed them with something that I was sort of hoping God would bless me with. 
Um, like, I've been praying for that, not for them, but for me. And for some reason, God answered the prayer. Maybe God got it, like, the address is confused. Like, God, I, I've been asking for that. Uh, why didn't you deliver it over here? Um, and it's hard sometimes to celebrate the success of other people. Uh, I can be real honest with you. I've been here for quite some time now, Bowling Green Christian Church, and I love this place. And we're in a really awesome season, despite COVID and everything here at the church. But there have been seasons of this church that have left me crazy frustrated because we'll do the stuff that we're supposed to do. And we'll, you know, I go to these conference and we, the staff, we get excited about this, that, and the other. Man, we put it together and the, the leadership, man, we're all for it. And we're like, man, this is going to help us take that next step forward to reaching the unchurched people to help people take their next step towards Jesus. And it seems like everybody's on board. And then like 30 people walk out the door and you're like, what just happened? And I see somebody else do the exact same thing in a church. And I think, you know, well, that's great that you went from 80 to 4,000. I'm super happy for you. We've been there. I've been there. And I wonder, God, why is it that that's not working here? Why is it that we take two steps forward and three steps back? Again, that happens in seasons. And I'm sure you've had that same thing happen in your life. You know, your coworker got the promotion you wanted. Yeah, you're excited for him, but really, you secretly want to get them fired. You know, so that way you can have the job, you know, secretly. You know, friends, let me tell you, when we can and when I can celebrate the success of somebody else and say, I am genuinely happy for what God's doing in your life, that is one thing. It just kills the comparison because you can't celebrate and compare at the same time. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced you cannot celebrate somebody else's success and compare yourself to them at the same time. So that's another way we can kill comparison. Uh, last thing here. Gosh, we're running out of time. Sorry. Uh, cultivate gratitude. We got to cultivate gratitude. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Uh, hang on to that, right? Envy is resenting the goodness of God in other people's lives, and it's ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Proverbs 15, 15 says this, For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Here's what the author of Proverbs is telling us, is that if you have a bad attitude, every day sucks. But if you have a good attitude, every day's a winner. I mean, we know these people. And if you're going, I don't know anybody who every day has a bad day, but I seem to have a bad day every day, then that's you, okay? Just, you got to own it. Listen, I mean, you can have somebody who's got this despondent heart, and they go through the same day as the person with a happy heart. And guess what? At the end of the day, one person had a terrible day, and the other person had a great day. What's the difference? It's the attitude. It's the perspective. For the person who's despondent, they're looking at this, and they're going, why me? For the person who's glad of heart, what are they saying? They're saying, God is at work here someplace. They're looking for God at work in something. I think about Ursa Davis. She passed away not that long ago. And I remember at her, her, her memorial service, her funeral, uh, somebody shared this, this story about her. She'd been hurting for decades. She had back pain and surgeries back when back surgery was still sort of experimental and new practically. And, and she'd had a particularly difficult surgery and, and knew she was in a lot of pain. And yet she was sitting in Sunday school class and surprised this gal. And she said, Ursa, she said, why are you here today? I heard you're, you're hurting. And she said, uh, Ursa said, listen, I can, I can hurt at home or I can hurt here. She said, when I'm at home, I'm just thinking about how much I'm hurting. But when I'm here, I'm talking with my friends and I'm thinking about Jesus and I'm worshiping him. And I'll tell you, it, it makes my day better. It makes the pain a little bit more bearable to be here with you. So yeah, I, I'm hurting, but I'm glad to be here. Friends, I, I want that to be my attitude. Uh, you know, to say, listen, we're gonna make the most of the place we're at, even if it's not ideal. 
What separates that? It's a choice. It's the, it's the attitude we have. You want to have a continual party in life? Enjoy what God has given you instead of wanting what he's given to other people. Be thankful for what God's giving to you instead of saying, man, I wish I had somebody else's life. So the next time you're tempted to say, man, my stupid car, this, that, and the other, say, man, I'm thankful that it starts and it gets me where I want to go. The next time you come to your house, and you're like, man, this place, it looks run down. Be thankful for a roof that doesn't leak and running water because not even everybody in America has that, right? The next time that you're thinking, man, I'm not where I want to be, then say, man, God, I'm thankful that I am and I'm here. And God, would you help me to make the most of this moment? The next time you're tempted to say, man, I'm so busy, my life is crazy, say, God, I'm thankful for my health, for kids that keep us you know, active, for a community to be contributing to. God, thank you for this social network of friends we have. Be thankful for that. Listen, most of us are not going to get to a place in our lives where we simply have Jesus Christ. If we get to that place, here's what happens. We will figure out that Christ is all we need. Now, I know some of you are here and you're saying, man, I, I don't really even buy into the premise. I want to tell you just a real quick story here at the end. This will be super quick about a guy I met. This is uh, a man who's been in ministry for decades. I'm sure he's passed by now. I've, I've, I've not stayed in touch with him. But he came to know Jesus Christ in the Japanese internment camps. He was a, a boy. He was Japanese in California at the time. And during World War II, they rounded up all the folks that were Japanese. And in just a terrible crime, they just pushed all of these folks into these camps. And he was one of those that went into this camp. And he was there. He's, he's young age. He's junior high, maybe high school. And while he's there, there's some woman who has intentionally come to the camp, and she's brought felt boards and storybooks, and she's starting to tell people about Jesus. And he comes to know Jesus Christ inside of this internment camp there. A terrible situation. You know, held in prison for nothing that he did, just, just who he was ethnically. And yet he finds the love of Christ in this unexpected and dark place. And so he gives his life to Christ in that moment, and, and he, you know, pursues Jesus, and he gets a little bit older, and he decides he's going to go into ministry. And so he goes into ministry, and, and he's telling this, you know, to his family, and his dad has not converted to Christianity at this point. He will later. But his dad at this moment, all he had in his mind of people that were in ministry were these monks over in Japan who would wander around with bowls and beg for food for the day. And he said, I will not have a son that's a beggar. He said, if you go into ministry, I will disown you, and we won't talk. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. He loses his family. He loses his family connection. He pursues ministry. Uh, his ministry is with most of these smaller churches, and, and it doesn't pay great. And along the way, he gets married and has some kids. And one day, his wife comes to him and says, listen, I'm just so tired of not having things, of anything. And so I'm done. And she leaves and goes and starts some sort of real estate business. And he's there left alone. And his kids still come, and they're, you know, one plays the guitar as they get older, and he's left, and he's, he's single in his life. And I think a lot of it had to do with a belief he had about getting remarried, and he just didn't feel like he could, so he devotes his life to ministry. And I asked him, and this conversation lasted all of 15 minutes, I said, hey, wow, that's rough. <laughs> I said, tell me, was it worth it? And he looked at me as though he didn't understand the question. And I, he said, what do you mean? And I said, I said, was following Christ, was giving your life to ministry like this, was it worth it? And he said, you know, I've, I've never actually once asked myself that. I, I don't, I don't, I'm, yeah, it, of course it is. It just never entered his mind. Because for him, Christ 
was enough. I then went and threw myself in the trash can. Um, I mean, you meet people like that, and you see this incredible awareness that Christ is what we need. So church, let's get to that place where we kill the comparison, because all we're doing is, is coming up a loser. Let's be grateful for what God has given us. And I think if we do those things, we're going to kill discontentment in our lives. This week, if you're in a community group, you're going to be talking about this a little bit more. I'm excited for you to be doing that. This morning, we're going to have you stand in a second and sing. And I want you to just go ahead as we sing this during this time to surrender to God whatever discontentment you've got. Maybe for you, you're going to stay seated and you're going to pray about that. Some of you are going to stand up and sing and you're going to celebrate what God's done for you. Either of those is a perfectly awesome and acceptable way to respond to this. Uh, others of you, maybe you want to pray or talk with somebody. I'm going to sit over here. I'd love to, to do that. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you about that. Some of you have never experienced Jesus Christ as being enough in your life. and You've never given your life to him. I want you to know that's, that's something you could do today as well. Again, I'll be over here. love to talk with you. If you're online, you could shoot us a message through our Facebook page. You can email us here at the office. But listen, grab a hold of Jesus because he's really what we need. And when you grab a hold of Jesus, you'll discover that he is actually all we need and that we can be content with just him. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing.